Welcome to Public Cloud for Public Good, a podcast talking about cloud sustainability and how we can use public cloud services to make the world a better place. Today, I'm speaking with Max Schulze, who is the founder of the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure Alliance. Max is currently focused on improving how we can measure the carbon footprint of our digital economy. Throughout his career, he has dedicated himself to the well-being of people and our planet and is committed to creating a positive future for our next generation. Max, obviously, you know, you're the founder of the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure Alliance. You know, what drove you back in 2019 to sort of go, do you know what? This is what the world needs and this is where I need to be was a former sort of software developer and doing loads of different things in technology. Where did this sustainability thing start for you? I think a, a sense of responsibility. I always have to say I'm, I'm technocentric. Uh, that's the, the direction. I like technology. I think computers are tools. Software is, is tools to make our lives better. That's what it was created for. And I want more software. And I do think that digitalizing a lot of things in our society is a good thing. I'm, I'm pro all these things. But I think we've reached a point in our society that we are at a point where we always have to ask, what's the consequence, right? We have learned that we didn't ask with oil, what's the consequence? Plastic. Plastic. We didn't really think about it too much. Now we should ask, okay, so digitalizing the planet, every service, every public service of the government, what's the consequence of that? And then you start asking that question and you realize, oh, wait, there's no data. There's no information. Well, how do I quantify? Well, it's difficult. And as a software engineer, I'm like, that can't be. Huh? We, there's, we measure everything in our monitoring systems. We measure every data point that exists. How come <laughs> we don't know what the footprint is of the digital world? There's no money to be made in measuring that specific thing. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I think there is a, there is a, actually, I came to the conclusion now after doing this for five years that there's actually, people are afraid that by releasing that information, that they will slow down the consumption of digital products and services. And that's why this information is not available. Because right now, the digital world feels completely weightless. And that feeling would be completely, utterly destroyed. Right now, it feels like you can drive a car without gasoline and it just dries forever. And that feeling, I think, is very important for this massive growth of the digital world. Um, if we make that go away, if the metaverse would have a bigger environmental footprint than the real world, then the metaverse would probably not be so exciting anymore. That's, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Like you said, yeah. So companies are sort of sitting there going, God, if we actually start to give people the information to poke holes in this concept, like it's not even like poking holes. I mean, maybe it is the business model because that's where we're getting to right now with oil is actually, we said to these organizations, if you are now responsible for the end environmental impact of the products you make or, or sell because you've chosen to use oil instead of alternatives, this is the, where we got up to now in this concept of thinking about, okay, what's the big impact of oil? And we've only just caught up. You know, we're talking probably a hundred years later, you know, of, of saying, okay, what's the end impact of, of oil? And should these companies be responsible for sorting that out, of paying for the environmental impact? I mean, you see BP whenever they have the oil spill. Yeah, we should make them pay that, like clean that up and pay to do all that work. But all of the plastic we use is basically like an oil spill just across our lives. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be in a position, and I'm, I'm you know, glad people like you are out there thinking, you know, like that. Let's ask this question because if we turn around in 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 twenty one twenty two and go, 
oh, there's more digital infrastructure that's incomprehensible. And actually, we haven't actually transitioned to sustainable energy or reduced our PUE or, or whatever technical term you're going to use as well. Um, and, and and it's all still got like, you know, diesel backup generators. I think it'd be a bit of an issue. I mean, hopefully, I mean, we're talking 100 years, we've got bigger problems to solve and we need to get going faster. But yeah, but everybody, and, and to that point, I think everybody has a job to play, right? There's people that are working on decarbonizing transport, there's people working on decarbonizing energy, but I am a software developer and I can only build an organization that decarbonizes software. That's where my responsibility as a citizen comes in. And of course I can make more money working in tech and that, you know, there's different, but I am responsible for solving this problem that I helped co-create, right? And you need somebody who understands IT and it's, it's not just the data center, it's also reusing hardware, all these things. But what makes me so excited and why I love doing this is because I think in the digital world, it's actually possible to get to a fully circular, you know, refurbish, reuse everything state of mind. I think it's actually physically possible. And that's much more exciting than for me, like decarbonizing trucks, where I think like that's never going to really work at the end. But with software, I feel like we can. We, we have all the tools, we have all the technologies, and it does technically work. And that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, it is that exciting sort of challenge, really. And then I probably disagree with you slightly in the sense that, okay, as somebody who works in technology, I don't think it is all of our responsibility is to sort of turn around and, and try and you know, change the world and, and go out and, I don't know, get picket signs and whatever else. Because at the end of the day, you know, we look at the concept of the world. We're, we're labored resource. We are individuals working for a salary to make these corporations all that money. Like Jeff Bezos is definitely fucking responsible for siphoning off billions of pounds and sitting at the top of all this. Yes, he should do more. And Amazon should probably not fire people when they start talking about this and setting up organizations within, you know, the climate justice at Amazon. Like, you know, you probably shouldn't go around firing those people if, if you're really going to be trying to absolve yourself of like, you know, guilt in, in this world but yeah maybe not everyone should have to go out and do this but it's exciting if you do want to you know grab a pitchfork and, and start coding and, and try and solve on this but uh, yeah i think you you make a good point as well as like you know i think it from my myself why am i doing this is like i could either go and do an environmental volunteering thing like i don't know clean up a wildlife reserve or plant trees but it's okay kind of i'll make an impact you'll come back in 50 years and all those trees are there but yeah, working in the digital space, you can see it happen so quickly. You can actually almost—it's much more impactful if you yeah. if you if you change the eight hours a day that you spend at work. If you if you change your behavior there, that's much more impactful than going for thirty minutes after work to a farm and and plant some trees. <laughs> I I think it's all about re re reducing the output, not compensating. That's what we're doing right now. Offsets are compensating, and 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 to your point with Amazon. I think you're spot on. I think the tech companies are benefiting the most of all companies in the world from a, an, an externality, which is environmental impact, that they are not accounting for. And that you see because they are the most profitable companies on earth with the most cash flow. Where does that come from? From not accounting for the negative effects of their business, right? Well, that, well that, that, that's, the, that's capitalism as a whole, isn't it? If we actually had to have accounted for yes. all of the impacts external to what makes our profit and what drives our machine. Google never paid never you for their money. data, yet yeah, they yeah, are financed yeah. by <laughs> that data. And so the, the input resource to their business is free. It's free. And yeah. so all that comes out is almost raw profit, right? Yeah. And, and that's interesting. Yeah. And I think this is for me in some ways, and the, probably the final point on some of this, but you know, for me, 
we need more regulation and pushing that at hand. Like at the end of the day, you look at a, an organization, catalyst company, corporation, when you put drivers, leadership principles and, and whatever else in place, it drives behavior, but the goal is towards making profit. And, and, and somehow along the way, 20 years later, it started off selling books online. It now runs half the internet. You've lost so many of those things where you go, oh, hold on, should we be doing this? Is this ethical? Why am I a cog in this machine? And if they were forced a bit more, but then, you know, I think there needs to be a lot of structural change to even get to that position where EU, that's one thing I'm really gutted about in some ways about UK leaving the EU is that this is where a lot of this conversation is happening. It's been in Europe driving the rest of the world, you know, forcing the hand with GDPR and, and especially with, you know, the investments that they're doing, uh, EU's doing to fund stuff like EcoCube and other alternatives to how we should think about, you know, technology. I think that's where it's going to come from. And unfortunately, I worry that the UK is not going to benefit as much or, or, or whatever the problem's going to be. I'm just literally going to start saying to customers, just host your data centers in Europe because you'll just get all the benefits of, of everything as we go forward. European hostess will be very happy about that statement. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah, to, your, well. to your point of regulation, just one note that we always forget because this word is so, became so abstract, right? The government is people, society is elected by us, right? And we as a society, we agree on certain rules on how we want our society to work. And that's regulation. Those are the rules on how we want to operate. And I think if we want Google and Instagram and others, or, or even like your, like Zalando, even European tech companies to act differently and to be accountable for certain costs they create, which is, for example, the environmental costs, we simply have to decide to do so, right? It's not hard. It always sounds like, oh, we can't regulate them. Yes, we can. We are, <laughs> we are a society, we agree on these rules, right? They are not yeah, yeah, superhumans yeah. or something like this. Yeah. And, and nothing's too difficult. Like this idea of like, you know, oh, it's too much work. It's it's red tape, and it's like that is the life we live. Like, look at import and exporting VAT. Like all of these other rules around customs. Like these are so many rules that impact our real world. That again, we might not see, but the way we interact and the way we buy goods in in supermarkets. That's what the that regulation that industries have to put up with is these regulations and the internet sending data back and forth between countries on fiber lines and whatever else. There's, there's actually it's quite light touch if we actually start turning around and saying you know, do more, then actually they should be able to cover that. And we don't, we don't have to tell them what to do or what not to do. But we, you and I talked about this before. It's just tell us how much the footprint is. What's the, just give, just be yes. transparent about, <laughs> you know, if I look at a steel factory, you can pull the sustainability report of Tata Steel here in Amsterdam. Yes. That yeah. clearly says how much emissions there is per ton of steel, how much water they use per ton of steel. And I, I just want to know the same for my digital usage. And that's not too much to ask. Definitely not too much to ask. And, and, and before when I said maybe it's not possible to regulate them, I didn't mean from the sense of, of, of like, okay, doing it. I think for me, the biggest problem is politicians, like getting the right politicians with the right drivers and understanding of technology to say, this is what we should be doing, rather than people who've been there for decades, especially in certain countries, in the UK is probably the worst example of this, who literally just don't give a crap or because they're donors or because it's money or because it's whatever else they just don't want to regulate big business and but that raises the magic question now i turn it around on you i'll become the interviewer aaron why are you not going into politics well i mean in some ways like for me 
what I'm thinking about, I mean, I, I overthink everything. Don't, I have actually honestly thought about, you know, where does politics and how do I start making people care about things more and, and actually impact this? But in some sense, what I'm sort of trying to do now is build up that credibility. Okay, here's somebody who can talk about these things and cares about these things and is a normal human being. Maybe I should listen to him. And maybe, oh, if I listen to him and, and actually like, you know, whatever else, then a few steps down the road. And to be honest, I have been speaking to uh, some people in, in, in politics in the UK, and, and that isn't particularly about me being involved in politics, but about saying to these people, why don't you go and look at this? Like, this is what's happening over here. And and actually, that is working. And, and we've talked about that also offline. But yeah, it would be, yeah, let's see. Just think about the, que- the most important <laughs> question is, how does that create jobs? Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> I, I mean, oh, the sustainability <laughs> though, you know, how does it create jobs? How does it get me oh, but, voters? That's the question. Oh, but you know, actually, it does create jobs. I mean, digital side, maybe not, but you know, new data centers in the UK, sustainable infrastructure, whether that's green energy, these things create jobs. We're not just buying Russian oil. As a country, if we invest in renewable energy, we are self-sufficient, we're, we remove the externalities of, of global impact, we don't have to raise our energy prices because, you know, and, and this is the thing, like long-term thinking, again, politics in the UK, five-year term, I don't give a fuck after five years. I just need to stay in power, siphon off enough money for my mates and whatever else I'm up to. And yeah, 20 years, that's someone else's problem. And, you know, in some ways, if we started to have to say to our politicians, think bigger, think longer, we care about this and, and people should stand up and say we care about this more and, and yeah, let's make an impact. But why aren't the SDIA organizing more conferences? Why isn't this online as a virtual event if it's going to be sustainable? But also, I'm not saying physical events can't be, but, you know, we should be having the conversation because, like, you know, we met at, at two conferences now. So the first time I met you was at Cloud Expo Europe held in London. Makes sense. Uh, and then we went to Cloud Fest in, in, in Germany. And for both of those, sustainability was a topic. And, and for, for one, I think Cloud Expo Europe probably did it a little bit better. Cloudfest felt very much like, okay, this is what we need to talk about. It, it, it's a topic. Let's throw a few people on a stage and they'll talk about how IBM's chips are better and AMD is doing whatever. And it's like, I don't, I'm not sitting here listening to some sponsored conference talk from a vendor who are just selling me vendor stuff. Like, this is boring. Like, I think, you know, conferences or at least a focused conference around this concept of tech and the ethics and why are we doing this? would be interesting. And, and I think the conversation for me is moving it away from people like us who are, I guess, commentators and, and more uh, slightly higher level of the advisory and, 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 you know, bullshit layer probably to the developers. Like this is, unless we're having these conversations with developers and saying to people, like you said, that, that was a really great thing you said earlier, actually, of like, okay, if you could just take your eight hours a day, which you do every day and start layering in the things you're going to do to change the world, that's going to have a larger impact on the volunteer at the end. And this is kind of where that conversation for me and, and where we could make this bigger impact is let's start saying to people, here's the tools, here's the information, it's at this place. So when are you going to do that? <laughs> I, I really want to. So it, it, it keeps coming up. Keep, people keep asking about it. I, I really want to. We had this, I have this feeling of guilt of getting people all in one place because I know that also the footprint of <sighs> yes. that is. But let's park that aside. I think another challenge that I see because you're spot on. I want to talk to developers, but I always get this question, how? And to be fair, a lot like give me like the 10 things I can do during my workday that would improve this, right? And a lot of times I'm like, 
I actually don't really know how to solve this problem. And most of these people in, in the society we live today, they don't have time to develop the solution. They can apply the solution. Yes, no problem. But there needs to be a certain group of people that are thinking about the solution. I mean, that's what we do inside the SCA, that we have these groups that are thinking about, okay, refurbished hardware. Why is it so difficult? Oh, the firmware expires. Oh, that's, that sucks. There's no support anymore for refurbished hardware. Oh, and then we you can't install Cumulus on the switch because, uh, I don't know, Juniper doesn't support it anymore. And then you're like, oh, okay, so these problems we need to solve first before the IT people can actually use it because otherwise the IT people come back and like, Max, I tried it, it sucks. Yeah. Oh, you know, I tried raising this in in the in the the, the planning session, and everyone told me it wasn't on the. You have to have good instructions money. on what yeah, to do. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think I think it's it's it, it's two directions though, isn't it? And this is why again the podcast is sort of targeted to a few different people, but it's developers who are going to work the way up and and start almost having those conversations and agitating in some ways, and then it's the senior leaders from the top down who are going to go. Actually, I'm going to change my priorities and requirements, and because again. You know, at the end of the day, sustainability isn't any one person's responsibility. Um, it's not just the developers to raise this. It's not just the architect who says we should use a better way of hosting this. It's not just the product manager who says we should prioritize this. It's almost everyone with their own little part to play that needs to start taking more accountability and responsibility. The business requirements when they come in should put sustainability higher up the list than not existing at all. Um, and, and I've been guilty of this. Like, you know, I... I in the home office, I, I, I did a contract with Amazon uh, for 120 million pounds over X amount of years, which is a very big contract. And, and, and the priorities for us were, is this the best fit of technology? Can we deliver the things we need to do without thinking what are the externalities of, of this or what are the, I can't even say that word, but what, what are the, the, the impacts of this? Sustainability was not high up on our requirements when we did that contract. No, we, um, we see a lot of tenders and, and you're not alone. I, I think... One thing that we do know, and that's why I think this conference would be a good idea and also to make it actionable for developers and um, is to measure. The one thing we know now is that we don't know enough and that we cannot develop actual solutions without any evidence, right? Then it's, it's just working against the blank wall. Um, so measure, and I think our first conference, if we do one this year, will be just about inviting developers and together sit together and say like, this is how you measure it. This is how you use Prometheus or this is how you use Kubernetes, or this is how you measure an AWS. Measure, 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 and just make this data public. Don't tell your boss. <laughs> just make it public. No, nobody's gonna fire you for that. The impact. So you're saying like measuring the the let's say converting the namespaces and and, and the node usage to CO2 in tons. Like yeah, CO2, I mean, energy, and resource yeah. use, and just as much data as we can. But like just. Just make that public. Like, how how crazy would that be if we would know the total footprint of the IT infrastructure of the home office, right? That would be amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, I guess if, if you listen out there and you're in the public sector, you're in a, a tech organization, which is the right size that you can have the right conversations to say, we should just be better. And, you know, you can get the tools to measure things and, and, and start implementing it. Then let's try and do this. And, yeah, let's all go to Max's conference, who's going to tell us how to do it as well. Uh-oh. <laughs> We'll get back to our interview soon, but I really want to highlight that it's not all doom and gloom in the world. So now is the part of the show where we shine a spotlight on companies, charities, and organizations that are contributing to making the world a better place. Supporting ethical businesses and charities that are doing good in the world is the easy way for all of us to also contribute when we're able to. This week's company is Brew Gooder. They're a beer that is brewed on purpose. 
They were founded on a belief that the beer that we enjoy together can be a force for good. Since day one, every Brewgooder beer has been brewed on purpose to create waves of people-positive change. Through this commitment, you, the beer drinkers, know that every sip you are helping to empower the lives of others. With every can or pint of the beer that you enjoy, they are committed to ensuring that the 100 times that amount of water will be provided on projects undertaken by their trusted impact partner, Charity Water. I was speaking with uh, somebody on probably a previous podcast about like the future for me in some ways is is this like no code, I guess. So, you know, someone like me who is, is pretty technical when it comes to governance and management. I'm not a software developer. I've dabbled. I do make my own websites, but that's mostly just configuring stuff in Amazon and then getting my head around WordPress and maybe, you know, doing a few little bits. I'm technical in some ways, but I'm not actually a software developer. And I think... You know, for me, I want to. I'm obviously setting up a business and running a podcast. I've got these ideas. I want to create a business. That's the goal. The goal is I want to use technology to further my goal or, or deliver a product or a service. And I think the closer we can get to giving less technical people the ability to to spin up stuff and and do it from a managed service and also guide them along that journey, like because it is a complicated world out there. Oh God, sorry, you, you made your S three bucket public. That's your fault. Like that. That's not really my fault if you're allowing me to do it in some ways especially depending on technical they are and i think yeah for me that's obviously in some ways a big market like look at rest of the world countries entrepreneurs setting up digital services we're already quite saturated in in the in the west and in america with online services but there's so much available as well i think yeah i mean it's either that or, or at least amazon funding bloody oil companies to help them and use mi and ai and ml to like source more oil apparently that was listening to a, um, a podcast last night and they were just saying like in some ways again you know see this is a sustainability podcast and i'm saying amazon's great for doing these things but at the same time they're just an organization a capitalist organization out there to make money and they'll do whatever it takes but you you made me think of look i, I think this has always been the journey mm. right so 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 why 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 does scrum exist why do all these development agile testing exist because fundamentally technology people like making technology not necessarily what people need right and this is this ongoing what you just outlined with like how you want to use technology to build a business i completely i think about technology like this as well i always said a computer only exists to to be a useful tool for you Right? Don't be angry at it. It doesn't do anything you don't want, but it's supposed to be a tool. But sometimes it feels more like it's an obstacle than a tool because it becomes so complicated and because there's software and technology that's for other technologists, right? And the cloud is starting to feel like that to me. And then there's technology for people who just like Shopify, right? Shopify is for people who don't want to code and they just want an online shop, right? And sometimes these things, we mix them and then it gets incredibly confusing, in my opinion. Um, it has to be very clear what is infrastructure technology for technologists and what is a, a software as a service. And why it, you triggered me is, is I, I had to do a presentation two weeks ago for what can nonprofits do to have sustainable mm. IT? And I said, have no IT. Yeah, yeah. Rely on because services. a nonprofit yeah. does not equip the SDA doesn't have a team of 15 <laughs> engineers that are just maintaining our workspaces and our video call infrastructure. That doesn't work. Not every business should have IT. And and no, I'm not saying outsource it, but like we need these services like this podcast recording platform because I can't 
I don't have the time, I do have the competence, but I don't have the time to run a server with my own podcast infrastructure and deal with it if yeah, it doesn't yeah, work, yeah. provide support, all and, this and crap. You're right, you're like, and there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, you're, well, yeah. you're right, there's a lot of opportunity for those SaaS services which come in and fill the cracks. And I think for me, what I've been thinking about recently is like, a SaaS service, like, you obviously get guided along the journey up to a certain point, and it, it absolves you of responsibility. I mean, this is, the, like, let's say the shared responsibility model with Amazon. Like, even they have different ways of layering who's responsible for what. But the further you go up, the, down the stack, or up the stack, or whatever which way you go, and the less you have to worry about. And especially as a nonprofit, as a charity, your aim is to be a charitable cause, spend as little money as possible, let's not recruit fucking senior developers to sort of get there and and you can do that by using SaaS services. And I was thinking about one recently and it'd be really interesting because obviously, you know, I've been trying to think to myself, okay, what is my impact on the world? Like how do does my interactions with with hosting things online and and and, and living in a digital world have on, okay, my impact. So in terms of like carbon emissions and and, and what is the cost of me being sort of privileged and and Western and basically running everything in the web. And I think for me, like what I, what I was thinking about is like these services don't want you to think about that question because they make money from having your data. They don't want you to start going, oh, hold on. Google, they obviously want your emails. Like, I mean, I, was, I said this yesterday on the last recording, but, you know, they want your emails so they can mine the data, you know, iCloud, want your photographs because keeping you in that infrastructure keeps you tied to the physical phones they sell. And what if you had a tool or somewhere to go and it said, okay, you've given me some sort of access to all of these things. Maybe there's duplicate photos, both stored on Google, both stored on Apple. Why don't you delete them? Maybe there's all these like duplicate photos. Why don't you just delete them? Like, and just sort of trying to whittle away and one, take back power for me because I get to own and control more of my data, but two, help everyone reduce our usage online. And I think it was you, wasn't it, at the conference with CloudFest a couple of weeks ago and, and you did a talk and, and you sort of asked the crowd, is like, how many here take photographs of your food on Instagram and just put it online? And it's like, when you come to looking at sustainability and reducing our impact of carbon emissions, there's, there's free word. It's not just recycle, it's, it's reduce, reuse and recycle. And I think that thing of giving individuals, organizations more tools to reduce their online usage would be a cool SaaS service. So yeah, that would be something that'd be cool. <laughs> More technology yeah. to solve the technology problem. Like uh, <laughs> I think th there, there's two paradigms that reinforce what you say, right? So how do you build a tech product? It's by collecting data on user behavior. How do people use the product? And you make it very quickly, very much better um, step by step uh, by you looking at the data, like Uber's developing products like this. Everybody in San Francisco that I know builds products like that. And that means you need a lot of clicks, you need a lot of behavior data to observe. So that, that paradigm already triggers like, I want the user in my platform so I can track what they're doing so I can improve my product. That's already not such a good paradigm when it comes to like efficiency and, 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 uh, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's like surveillance you... capitalism, isn't it? What is the reason why we add all these layers onto our tools, whether it is almost innocuous as okay, I'm, I've monitored a couple of clicks because I want to know if they're actually using this button or A-B test versus, oh, I'm going to send tracking pixels out in all of my marketing emails so I can go down to the nth detail of... of and like every single time you open an email, that's a network request and a, and a sort of packet getting sent and, and that's adding to the noise and the, and the, and the, 
the cost of 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 of, of kind of using the internet. I think, you know, as, we, as obviously I've been digging into sustainability more and more and, and speaking to more people that I think one of the things I try and, and do or explain it is like there's three different things to worry about. There's the storage. These are the main kind of drivers of, of cost of, of energy is obviously storage, simple to think of, put it on a hard drive. It's, it's plugged in somewhere unless it's on tape and it's going to cost money just to, um, you know, keep it at that that access. And and that, that access is variable as well. So you've got high access, frequently accessed. and And this is the kind of the not the insidious insidiousness but like the issue in some ways with instagram they want people on their platform and they want their pictures to be highly responsive so everything they store is going to be on highly accessible media and replicated across the globe at 80 different cdn well. edge locations <laughs> yeah so you can get it in less yeah, than yeah. 10 milliseconds and, and the other two yeah. categories i won't go on too much but yeah it, it's cpu it's compute it's, it's load and it, it, it's, the, it's the actual platform itself but the network bandwidth and i think that the network's the hardest one to conceptualize because you just think oh it's cable in the ground it, it already exists sort of thing you don't really think about it but every single time we send an electrical impulse or, or, or light stream down this fiber it costs energy either either way to get some kind of you know read and send those packets and yeah that surveillance capitalism of just you know we don't stop to think should i do this is this actually and and that's where sustainability in some ways when i'm really trying to obviously open up this conversation because when you start to sit down as an individual developer, as an organization and go, if my goal, if my number one goal, my day one, my, my, my highest priority is sustainability, you start to think about these things differently. Instead of it just being, oh God, it's going to make my user experience better and give us loads of crazy data to play with, it's, oh, that's going to cost us X amount of money. That's going to do this much impact of CO2. Should I be doing this? And, and it just helps be more ethical, I guess, hopefully. <laughs> this is the very common sustainability path, right? It is. With the SDA, always I said in the beginning, it's this argument of you should send less Amazon packages, right? Because that's not sustainable, right? It's obviously not good for the environment. More trucks, more people, more everything is bad about it. But then at the same time, there's a paradigm of infinite consumption and infinite growth, which is infused by capitalism, which I don't think we can change right now. So I would make you rethink your position, which is, okay, Infinite digital growth is not good and infinite digital consumption is not good, but it's definitely better than infinite consumption of oil, for example, right? So we, we might get better economic growth in the digital world, with, which has less environmental impact than, you know, building more factories, making more steel-based products or more plastic-based So in principle, moving economic growth into the digital realm is better. And then the second question is, how do I make that growth sustainable? So how do I transform the underlying infrastructure into something that doesn't matter that I use it so much? That's the idea of renewable energies, that I can drive an electric car all day long in a circle if we have so much renewable energy that it doesn't matter. It's not that simple, but the original thought behind the SCA was always, that's why we focus so much on the digital infrastructure, because telling people to consume less, No, I am not that, that's Greenpeace's <laughs> job, job right? And I'm yeah. like... <laughs> Yeah, and I like, like, you know, be vegan, all of that I agree with. I, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but there's different people to solve different problems. And I would like to focus on solving the, the problem of, you know, um, making the infrastructure so that you don't have to worry about the consumption. In that sense, I'm a bit like the cloud providers, like saying, forget about it, just do your thing. Yeah. And we'll yeah. optimize under this the hood. This is like this other separate battle. It's like if you were thinking about the war against climate change, this is like, this is the let's make data centers sustainable front. The change of consumption, it's just, 
I mean, you can, right? Look at Adblock. That's, that's a great example, right? Consumers can change how digital applications would be built because they can just say, like, I don't want, um, let's say, services that waste my data or that store my data for longer than 30 days. And maybe there we can make a little Chrome extension that sends a, a signal to the service, like, I don't want it, I don't want it. Like, the do not track shit, right? I mean, that's the sort of thing, like I was saying earlier, like, if there was a SaaS product that allows you to do this, if there was an automated way of, of doing this, but... It, it's two halves. It's what can consumers do or the, the, the sort of, you know, people who are using all these services versus if we're speaking to developers and senior leaders, what can you just think differently to change the way? And, 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 and you know, great examples is just reduce the amount of stuff on your website, especially like you say, adverts. Like you don't need that one gig 4K uh, flashy hero banner. Like it's over the top. Like just, and, and, and I think you make a really good point. And just delete shit. <laughs> I tell my organization people like, yeah, we got to archive all these Google Docs, you know, all these revisions of this thing. I'm like, first of all, Google Docs does a version of every document anyways. So just delete shit. Digital hoarding, I'm guilty as charged. Huh? Like, I have archived every piece of code I've written since I'm 14 years yeah. old. Right? Have you ever Why? gone back? It's like, it's like when you go up into your attic and you've got all of, like, crap that you've carried around with you between houses. And, I mean, some of it's obviously nice, like, you know, kids' photos, if you haven't already scanned them and put them up online, but other bits like knickknacks and, 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 and sort of memories, I guess it's like. Yeah, but also how many apps do you have on your phone that you never use, right? Like like all this hoarding <laughs> because we think it has no footprint. It's free, but it's not. I think it's interesting though is like for the apps, for example, like the, you can definitely see a difference between iPhone kind of ecosystem and Android ecosystem where like, iPhone will be a bit more like, okay, we've noticed you've not used this app in a long time. And we've also noticed you haven't used these permissions that we've given it. Let's go and put that in a dormant state. And okay, it's on your hard drive on your phone, but not really doing much. And, and I think it at least stops the signals pinging in and out. And, 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 you know, in some ways, again, coming back to like, you know, you said cloud is a great business. Like this is why these organizations exist. It, it's great to see them making some steps to either make your data more in control to, to reduce your, your usage and, and make your lives happier. But at the end of the day, the goals are perverse. To make more money, we need more interactions and clicks. Look at news media, outrage sells now in newspapers and online articles because more clicks to their websites, gets more views on their pages where they've put adverts. And that's what's driving the behavior they want from people. That raises the ultimate question, right? So here's a great example. Utility companies, mm -hmm. power utilities in the UK, right? Let's take them. Why would they invest in energy efficiency of their customers? Because last time I checked, they sell kilowatt hours, right? Every kilowatt hour sold is good for business. So why on earth are they now all talking about energy efficiency and you know, reduce, reduce, reduce? Because they're regulated to do so or they're state owned, right? Which is anything that's infrastructure, and that's what every economist has ever said in every history book is that there are certain things that need to be public goods. Uh, railways, for example, streets, right? They can't be privately owned because a profit motive is counterintuitive to the needs of society. And I would argue, I'm not arguing that the cloud needs to be public uh, property, but certain aspects of it, right? Like the fiber networks, and they should probably be either heavily regulated yeah, or public so that so that it becomes all of a sudden efficiency can be enforced because you're right. 
what incentive does a cloud provider have yeah. to make you save data? <laughs> they get, megabyte, they get yeah. paid for every megabyte <laughs> I mean, that you put there. Right? You're making a really interesting point. And, and, and you know, we're having this conversation in, in Germany about, you know, Germany now, or at least that question to go around is like, actually, should the, the fiber, the networks be a, a utility that's a bit more controlled and, and price managed? And, you know, uh, and there's a great example in the UK uh, for the majority of our uh, internet. It, it's laid by uh, British Telecom's OpenReach, which is a semi-privatized, but slash, but it, it, they have a monopoly basically. So, in theory, the government says to them, "You have to put internet everywhere, no matter who it is, if, if it's you know old houses or in a rural community." But one of the interesting things is, is again, profit motive is, is we've got some private housing companies, pair similar things they're called, and they build these estates. And what they do is instead of hooking up BT OpenReach, which allows you to access many different providers, and it's a very common network, loads of different providers, they put in a very sort of specific fiber line that can only access their internet telecoms provider. And, and they've got a license for several years so that you can't even go and get BT installed yourself. And again, it's that profit motive. If people are sitting there going, okay, how can we make money? They're not going to go, okay, let's make our lives better for the consumer in some way. Think about if I would tell you the same exact story about an electricity, yeah, an electricity plug out. in your house, you would yeah. be like, you're nuts, <laughs> man. But for fiber, this somehow is tolerated. And I completely agree with you. That is mm. complete, utter nonsense. Every fiber network should be like a DSO or a TSO, the transmission network or the, 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 the distri distribution system operator. The power networks are always either regulated or owned by the state or owned by the municipality because everybody should have access to internet and should not be discriminated, right? I think that's the worst part in the UK is like you've said, that profit motive is that majority of our power companies, the majority of our water companies, like these are like essential needs. Like if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a human, you need heat, warmth, like I'm not saying access to electricity is like the internet and whatever, but you know, that powers lots of different things for you to get clean water, to eat. And in theory, you, it'd be great as a society instead of thinking, how can we continue to grow if that's what our whole function is, which it basically is in a capitalist world, is how can we just continue to grow the economy to turn it around and say, okay, how can we just service the base level needs so that we are more protected? We are more, we can weather crises like a pandemic without, an, you know, it, it basically turning everyone to crap when jobs go because these utilities are, are, are continue to be serviced. We can provide them. And like, you know, a great example again in the UK, EDF, the, the French energy company has been ordered because it's state-owned to basically cap energy bills at 4%. You can choose to take that hit on, on your balance sheet because you're a bloody country, for fuck's sake, you can afford it. Uh, whereas in the UK, our price bill for, for energy has just gone up ridiculous amount. I think it was about 155% um, over the last three months. So for example, for me, my house, I was paying £115 a month for gas and electricity combined. My new estimate and, and my bills that have started to come out already is 285 between one month. That's like an extra 150 pounds a month. But that's why the UK and the US, you guys are, you're the experiments in capitalism. Huh? You, you have privatized <laughs> everything, which from a, if I'm an investor, it's great because all these things become bankable assets. I can all of a sudden invest in a utility, right? But then at the same time, the service to society naturally goes down. And yeah, every economist, a little bit. yeah, every U.S. <laughs> economist, French economist, British economist, always said that this doesn't make so much sense because every model shows you. Um, and by the way, I looked up the Maslow law that um, 
of, of needs. There is a lot of people on Twitter and on the internet that wrote internet at the bottom. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just scribble that <laughs> You're spot on. I, yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, like, again, we're again talking about, you know, this idea of where should we go as a society? We had, you know, people would have heard of them. Jeremy Corbyn was, was sort of late, leader of the Labour Party. And they turned around and said, why should we not have a, you know, government-run internet provider? Like, actually... We can provide it to people who are on benefits. We can give access to people who need it. It's just cheap, very good internet. And people just laughed him out of the park. And we're like, what the fuck are you on about? Because this was back in 2016, 17. And people were like, oh, God, internet is a utility. Like, you know, that's in our mind. That's private. Why would a government ever get involved? Where's the benefit? Like, blah, blah, blah. And then COVID hit. And suddenly, so many students, so many parents, so many people were suddenly at home going, oh, I actually need a better internet because I'm stuck here. My kids need to access online learning. Like, And for a lot of people in the UK, a lot of people around the world, maybe not have that. Maybe you already have your mobile phone. Maybe it just doesn't have enough you know, gigabyte of data or whatever. And that was a problem. And it suddenly I sit there and go, huh, if only we'd sort of thought to ourselves. Well, also, why don't we? welcome to the developing world. This is how people in Africa feel all the time. Right, mm, um, mm. but to your point, it all of a sudden then feels like a human right to have access to the internet, and and that's I think they're debating that on the United Nations level as well. Is it a human right to be connected to information, to have access to digital education? Right, and I think uh, I've, we also forget that telcos used to be state-owned. Right, that is not a new concept, but of course, private. I mean, I always make this joke. Right, you you walk into the office of these certain companies. Right. And depending on the state of the furniture and the equipment that's there, right? If you walk into a telco's building, I think they're doing quite well. And yeah. so, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. I, I worked at Vodafone recently, and like you know, you go to the HQ campus. They basically are the biggest employer in this town in in, in South West England, and it's literally the town is literally Vodafone headquarters, and then like a pub and like supermarkets and people who live in the town that work at Vodafone and massive sort of like canal going through the middle of it all and, and these outdoor pods and yeah when you go in the when they go in the foyer and they've got like sponsored f1 cars and big like like shows of, of all these artifacts it's almost like a little semi-museum to the the gildedness of my don't ask them for telco. money for sustainability by the way though because they have no budget <laughs> for that they're, they're spending it all on formula one um, yeah, I want to give a shout out because it may be also interesting for you to speak on your next podcast. The, the probably the leading mind on this is, is Chris Warman at Connecting Humanity, which the name implies uh, he's working on this problem. And they're helping municipalities in the US right now to build municipal owned fiber networks that are open access, where then Vodafone can sell value added services on top. But everybody has access to fiber, the pricing is kind of fixed. Um, and it becomes more like a platform on which others can, you know, deliver these services. Yeah, I mean that's the issue in America, isn't it? They're so big and Comcast, and like I've been, there's been so many subsidies to AT and T and Comcast over the years to say you should go and connect these places, and they've just gone. Eh, nah. They're the same in Germany, though. <laughs> in Germany, Deutsche Telekom got so much money to build fiber, and yet, I mean, you can't even have a phone call in the train in Germany. Yeah? Yeah. There's not oh, enough wow. antennas uh, around, and I'm. And then they say, oh, it's because the train goes so fast, right? And then you go to China and the train goes 400 kilometers an hour <laughs> and you can, and 4,000 people can stream videos in the train and simultaneously, it works. Gosh, this has been really great. So th there's two things that we do in part of the podcast and, and one of them is donating money to charity. So for every guest that comes on, I give away 500 pounds to charity. So have you chosen one? Chris Adams from the Green Web Foundation. They're building some of the tools that we just talked about. Okay. 
and they have this open pod that you can donate money to and then open source developers get a little bit of uh, thank you money for doing the work. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort open of thing collective. we're open source. It's like, again, if companies had to rely on all of the external impacts and cost of, of using open source tools, maybe it wouldn't be as profitable for them. Like if Amazon had to go and pay for the usage of all these licenses that are open source, they rely on like, you know, libraries, et cetera, it probably cost them a bit, bit, bit more money. And yeah, that's a really interesting concept of this open pot and just paying people. Help me with this technical problem and you get money from the pot. That's a... I think, yeah, and they are doing some amazing stuff at the Green Web Foundation. That's why I really, um, yeah. Perfect. And then the next thing then is the kind of, the, 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 the you know, what are you going to leave people with uh, for, for the audience of the podcast, developers, senior leaders in tech or whoever else is listening? What, what would your recommendation be for that? I know you said you don't have all of the answers, but what would be one recommendation to either live or, or code more sustainably? I mean, we've talked about lots of things, but... Yeah, software obsolescence is the magic word. I think, think about supporting older hardware again. I know how difficult it is. I know we all hated Internet Explorer and making it backwards compatible and all these kind of things. But hardware is the key driver. Help people not have to replace their computer just because your software needs a bit more power again and a bit more power because I think we can, we are at this point where with the computers I have today, that should last for another 10 to 15 years. I think that's fine. Make software that works for a longer time, that doesn't need new hardware. Please. Yeah, we, we definitely got to that point with phones even. You know, every single time we upgrade a phone these days, if you are upgrading on the, on the cycle that the, the companies want you to, you're not getting the phone that does more things. It's a better camera. It's it's a little bit better hardware and it goes a bit faster, but it doesn't make a big difference to what you can actually achieve. And I, I mean, that's the one gun thing again with SaaS. If it's a web app, if it's accessible through a browser, that's probably going to last a bit longer than a proprietary desktop application or and whatever else. And I know it doesn't work everywhere, but that's a really good point. If, if, if you work in software, if you're making decisions out there, is let's try and keep these things in the ecosystem a bit longer. Yeah, another another great example is these Electron apps, right? That now every episode, like somehow a Chrome uh, built in and it uses so much memory that now I can see people like wanting to upgrade the memory of their laptop to 32 gigs of memory just so they can run five Electron apps. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, there are native programming languages that are a lot more efficient. Yeah, um, on than, Especially like things like Slack. I'm like, come on, guys. You have enough developers, you have enough time make it a native app so it uses less resources on my computer, please. Yeah, I mean, Chrome, Slack, all these things, you, you have a few of them open. Teams, Teams is probably one of the worst oh. ones as well. Like, that will put your... Fuck, yeah. And it's, the worst part is that Teams is for enterprise organizations. Like, you know, they're all running around with ThinkPads and, and, and creaking hardware. And, like, that... Surface tablets. Of, yeah, tablets, like... But, but that thing from Microsoft saying, okay, yeah, we've released Teams. If it doesn't work on your hardware, that's your problem. Upgrade to this, this, pick this. Like, and that's a massive impact across the world just because Teams is and decided Teams is just a shitty yeah. Electron app. Like, and it's basically a glorified web browser as well because all of the tabs on the sidebar, all they're doing is just opening other Office 365 interfaces and views in a slightly different way. Like, it could have been a web browser, to be honest. <laughs> It is one of the, yeah, please, people, like, build native apps again. It's not so difficult. Ah. Yes. Let's, let's see where we are with that one. And, yeah, and, 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 yeah, 
the conferences, the, the the talks, and everything else. And 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 if anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with with me, then please feel free to do. But if they want to get in touch with you, Max, and they want to interact with you online, where can they do that? Oh, everywhere. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, always my first name and my last name plus the word SDIA, or you can come to the SDIA.io and just find my email address on our website. It's right. It's everywhere. Yeah. You can just, just drop me an email. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. And yeah, you can uh, disagree, agree, tell us that we're a uh, privileged white bastards who have nothing else going on in the world to, to care about. And yeah, you can't all afford a, a Swedish bed furniture, but at least have a conversation and reach out. And, and, and thanks so much for listening. So yeah, thank you, Max. And, and yeah, have a nice day. Thank you, Aaron. Pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Imbue, a cloud sustainability consultancy. There's one final thing from me. I would love it if you could do one thing this week to make the world a brighter place. And if you do want to share it with us, then please get in touch with us on social media or leave it alongside your review as a comment. 